Have you ever been stressed, worried, anxious, confused? Maybe all at the same time? Are you building your own house of cards and if one more card is added, it might all come crashing down? You realize somewhere in between paying the bills, cleaning the house, tackling that pile of laundry and dropping your kids off at soccer practice, you gotta figure out what's for dinner. Run by the grocery store and if you can't get to that, then it's a quick stop at the drive-thru on the way home to grab dinner just in time to start homework with the kids. Or maybe your boss told your department that layoffs are coming and everyone will need to put in more hours to pick up the slack. But you and your wife just had a fight about how many hours you've been working lately and you know you need this job because you're already living paycheck to paycheck. Perhaps it's multiple term papers and exams all due at the same time and your car just broke down again. Whatever your situation, it seems like the fight to keep up with life and that never-ending to-do list is something we can't win and leaves us all filled with stress, anxiety, and worry about what else life is going to throw our way. It's easy to let our circumstances trap us and leave us feeling overwhelmed and wanting to quit. But it doesn't have to be that way. It is possible to live a life filled with joy and look forward to what's coming next. A life set to prosper and not to fail. A life filled with hope and a future. Hey everyone, my name is Todd and I'm just so excited to be preaching tonight. I want to welcome all of our locations. I want to welcome West, East, and Prison. Thank you so much uh, for joining us today. And so we are doing a little talk today about being overwhelmed. I thought it was pretty fitting how God kind of worked it all out to where we are talking about it over Labor Day weekend where we celebrate by not working. Um, always kind of makes me laugh. So maybe work is being overwhelmed, you got a day off, or you're overwhelmed because now you got to hang out with your family. Either one, it can be overwhelming. So I understand all of us in here, we just have some seasons um, where we feel overwhelmed. And so I want to address that because I know I've had them in my life, I, whether it was being single, being married, or even now having a family, they're just seasons you go through. And you don't see it happen, whether it's sometimes finances, whether it's some of the storms of life, whatever the case may be, we all go through this. And so the question becomes is, okay, how do we deal with it in a healthy way? How does God want us to deal with it? And so here's the first place I want us to start. I think there's two ways that leads to us becoming overwhelmed. The first way is this. We start having a cluttered life. I have a picture I want to show you that will stress most of you out. So take a look at this picture. Yes, right? And so here's the problem that can some, sometimes happen. Um, you've got all these things that you've got going on in your life. You've got to manage your finances. You've got to manage your family. You've got to manage your own health. I've got to manage the workload. All these things. And all this different stuff in here represents that. And then sometimes people add other things. You have commitments. You have all these things that you say yes to. And then over time, your life starts to look like this. And it looks crazy. But you think you got it. This is the crazy part to me. With people who kind of live this cluttered life, <laughs> they usually go, oh, no, everything's fine. Everything's good. But on the outside, or, and you kind of watch their lives, they, you know this is going on. I'll never forget, I went to a missions trip in Alabama one time, because this kind of makes you feel like hoarders, all right? And so we were helping this lady get all of her stuff out of the house um, because the tornado had really destroyed it, so they were going to fix it up for her, but she needed to get everything out. Well, her house pretty much looked like this. It was a mess. 
And so we're going in there trying to help her, and she was so overwhelmed because people were messing with things. People were changing her systems because although it looked chaotic, every time you touch something, she'd be like, no, 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 you got to keep that all together because that's, that's, that's just the way it is. Like, if you messed with her system, she would lose everything. Because she could walk through a mess like this and go, well, there's that and there's that. See, this is why I have this beautiful system. Everyone that was there was going, it's not a system. It's just chaos. <laughs> and so that's why the cluttered life can be so real for us to where many of us are going, yes, my life is, I've added all these new things. For some of us, it's school just starting up. Some of you started college or starting school. Some of you, it's that new season now. We're heading into the fall, and you're like, oh, no, this, this means this or this means this. And so that's why the cluttered life can happen. It, there was a survey that was done that explained uh, some of the reasons why we have a cluttered life. It says this, you will never have enough time to attain our ideal career productivity, our ideal relationships with our spouse, friends, family our ideal physical fitness, our ideal service to community, our ideal financial goals, and even our ideal devotion to hobbies. You don't have enough time to put all the hours that all of those would demand. Some of you in here going like, well, this is the most depressing sermon ever. This is awesome. But here's, here's the hopeful part. God goes, hey, I've given you enough time to do what you need to do today. To where all those areas, if you let me give, if you give control over, I will show you how you can lead and how you can manage this. Because I think all of us kind of know that to be reality. Is that our life can become very cluttered because things start to demand a lot of hours. And we have to learn, okay, how am I going to manage this? So that's the first one. Here comes the second one, when the storms of life happen. And these are the storms where you lose the job. Uh, divorce happens, or you lose somebody. These are storms that sometimes you may see coming, sometimes you don't. And the hard part is, is if you've got that cluttered life, a storm of life is kind of like this linchpin to the whole thing where it blows up your whole life. Everything seems to be falling apart. And to kind of help us see that, there's a video I want to show you um, where a forklift driver was just having an off day, and it probably caused him to get fired. Because, well, I'll just let you watch this. Watch this video. That is a bad day. That's a horrible day. Like, that was a, a warehouse plant out in Russia, and I'm just, I feel so bad for that guy. Who knows, the forklift may have just taken off on him, but the whole warehouse pretty much fall, fell. Yeah. Crazy, but some of you in here could go, yeah, I've had days like that. Never want to relive them in my life. They were horrible. And so these storms can sometimes cause so much chaos, and here's the danger. I've seen it happen. I've had many conversations with people where you see the overwhelming part of their lives and you just see this 
almost, they're giving up. They said, I, I can't keep going. I can't keep doing this. I, I don't know how I'm going to survive. And the sad part is we live in a society now that you can see there's a lot of overwhelmed people. And so you look at that, it's like, okay, cluttered life, we got these storms of life, and here becomes the danger. I think we can't avoid being overwhelmed in life, but the danger becomes if we stay in that season too long, it becomes very dangerous, and, and here's why. When we are overwhelmed, we doubt God. We doubt God when we're overwhelmed. Now, hear me, it's not a bad thing. There's always going to be moments where you doubt God. And when we're overwhelmed, that's especially true. When those storms come in, you're sitting there going, okay, God, are you going to come through? Are you going to help me? Like, life's been going like this for a long time, and I don't know what to do. God, when are you going to step in? And so we start to doubt his love, start to doubt that his power is going to be good enough to come through. We start to doubt that he believes in us. Whatever the case may be, doubt starts to creep in. Our fears start to take over. And so I've seen it to where people go, God, I, I had you in control, but now I've got to take the reins because it seems like you're not doing anything. And we lose hope in God. And we try to solve it on our own, and then sometimes we lose hope just in life. We're going, I don't even know why I'm here. I don't know what to do. But the beautiful part is, is God gave us a promise. Gave us a promise that when life is like this, when you are overwhelmed, he promises something that's very significant. We can find it in Romans chapter 8. I want you to look at this. Uh, Pastor David shared this verse uh, last weekend, and so I would say if you've got a Bible, underline it, highlight it, because it's such a powerful promise. So let me read this to you. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Doesn't mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death. As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Yay. That sounds awful. That's horrible. And you kind of wonder like, wow, like, why is life this difficult sometimes? And we've all probably been there. But he says, no. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Despite we are going to have days where we feel like this. There's going to be difficult moments because there's evil in the world. It exists. People are going to hurt us. There's going to be moments we can't explain, and it's going to be moments where we are so overwhelmed, and God says, recognize, if you're willing to walk this out with me, you will have overwhelming victory through Christ. So that's where it led me to this point that I think we need to sit on. It's going to be my whole sermon today, and it's a simple statement. If it isn't good... God isn't done. And that's awesome because it's so full of hope. If it isn't good, God isn't done. And I think for some of you, you're like, thank you. I know for me, there's been many moments in my life where I needed to hear that. However, there's the other side of you that maybe some of you in here, you're like, the skeptics going, I don't know about this. It seems almost too hopeful seems almost a little crazy. <laughs> and I think I can understand that. But one of the things we've got to wrestle with is that word good right there. Because God's definition of good and our definition of good may be very different. And are we okay with that? Because God's definition of good 
may be able, it may take a while to play out. It may take some time, but it's awesome if we're willing to walk it out. But then there are ours where we go, God, it, it would just seem so much better if you'd play out this way. And I have known, like there's an example in my life where we were, uh, we had a small group that we were leading um, at our house. And there was a couple that started coming. Uh, he was a B-1 pilot um, and his wife started coming too. And, and so they were B-1 pilot in the Air Force. Their names were Anthony and Nicole. They were an awesome couple. I got to know them, got to hear their story. And uh, Anthony shared with me, he was like, you know what, I, I want to someday, once I get done with the Air Force, I want to go be a politician and do it in a way that honors God. And I looked at him and was like, dude, you're crazy. I don't know if that's doable, but if there's one guy who can do it, you can do it. Because he just had that charisma about him. And so he was an awesome guy, funny guy. And uh, so B-1 pilot, he even had his own airplane. I'll never forget the moment he shared with me where he took me up in the airplane. I got to actually fly a plane around Rapid City. All of you were probably scared for a little bit there. But it was awesome. One of the most significant moments of my life, just because it was a cool moment that I don't know if I'll ever get to experience again. And so the, our group had gone done in the fall, and, and so we were kind of heading into, you know, the holiday season. And so Anthony and Nicole were heading down to see their family, and they were flying. And so their family, her family was in Denver. And so Tina and I, Tina's my wife, we started heading to Chicago because that's where uh, Tina's family is at. And so we're driving, and all of a sudden we get a call from a friend that was in our small group. He was also a B-1 pilot, and he said, hey, I've got horrible news. I was like, okay, like, what's going on? He said, Anthony and Nicole were in an accident. A plane crashed when they were flying to Denver, and they both passed away. I don't know if you've ever experienced a moment like that, but I was just in shock. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. It took me so long. I was even almost upset with myself that I didn't start crying or didn't start doing anything, but I just sat there. Just thinking like, what? God, what? I'm so confused right now. Why did you allow this? Why would you let someone die? Why would you, who had these great plans for you, who were going to do these amazing things? And I went back to this statement. I'm like, that seems stupid. If I'm just brutally honest, like, really? If it isn't good, like, God, come on. Why couldn't you have fixed this? But then over time, as I kind of let my anger subside and started to kind of process it, I started to notice something that God was doing that was pretty powerful because I was part of the funeral. And just to see the impact that Anthony and Nicole had with the people that they were around, on top of that, to think that they were with God. And to see what God was doing in the midst of this, this horrible moment, but God was saying, see, I still can bring good out of this. And that's where the statement, if it isn't good, God isn't done. So even in the midst of a horrible moment, I was able to find hope that was so helpful. It helped me heal. It helped me be able uh, to keep going in life because I knew God had it. But it took me a while to get there. And so that's what I want to wrestle with today. The wrestling with those moments of being overwhelmed. Because there's a story in the Bible that I want to share with you that is so, just, it applies to this statement. So before we dig into the story, though, I want you to recognize that this statement 
is not something I just came up with. It actually came from God. Romans 8.28 says this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Catch that, it says everything. Good or bad, God says, I can take care of this. I can do this. If you're willing to believe in me, if you're willing to walk this out, I will make sure everything works together for the good of those who love God. So the story, it's a story that involves Jesus. And he had a good friend named Lazarus. And Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. If you've been to church, you may have heard these names. If you haven't, go check it out in John chapter 11. Open up your Bible, flip there. This is where the whole story, all of it goes down. Because what happens is Lazarus becomes deathly ill. And so the two sisters go, let's send a message to Jesus. Let's let him know and see um, if he'll come and, and help us. And, and they assumed he would. I mean, they were all friends. So the message gets to Jesus. And I want to show you, kind of walk out what happens. So John 11, 3 through 4 says this. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Now, I always like to do this when I read the Bible. Put yourself into the story. So let's all pretend we are the disciples. We're sitting there at the table. You would have known Lazarus because it was a small community. Everybody would have known each other. So when they heard this, it would have been some pretty hard news to hear. I mean, like, oh, man, that sucks. But then Jesus goes, this will not end in death. This will be a great, and we're all like, awesome. Like, we're going to see a miracle. We've seen him do some, you know, healings already. This will be so exciting. So we're all kind of like high-fiving each other. We're all excited. And then the next verse changes the whole mood. Catch this in verse 5. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, you know when a statement starts with that, it's not going to be good afterwards. So fascinating. Remember, John wrote this. John was one of Jesus' disciples. He would have been explaining this whole moment. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. I remind you, he's deathly ill, okay? Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now, we're a disciple. We just heard the news. And maybe let's say we're having lunch and we look at Jesus. I'm like, all right, hey, are we going? We're gonna make this happen? Great. He's like, no, no, we're going to have lunch first. And you're like, all right, that makes sense. We need to eat a little bit for our journey. Because it was only a day away from where Lazarus and Mary and, and Martha lived. So it's only a day. And so then Jesus goes, no, not only are we going to stay for lunch, we're going to stay actually a couple more days. <laughs> all of us would have been like, hey, did you, did you hear the message? Like deathly ill. This is not like a cold. Like this is a serious illness we're dealing with here. And Jesus said, no, I, I got it. We all would have been like, all righty. You run the show, but just saying, we could have, could leave now. could make it. Funny thing is, is it actually gets worse. Verse 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, now that's where Martha and Mary and Lazarus lived, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Now, that would be the part where one of the disciples probably said, Jesus, I kind of told you, I'm 
probably should have got there earlier. Hmm? Now, catch this. Look how late Jesus is. Not only did he wait two days, we don't know the time frame of when Lazarus actually passed away. There could have been more days. And then on top of that, there's been four days past that. So if we just said, hey, within those two days, Jesus passed, or Lazarus passed away, and then four more days, that means a total of six days. I remind you, it was only a day away. So, I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever had moments where you're looking at God going, God, why are you so late? Could you come now? Any day would be great. And you're just waiting, and you're sitting there, and they're like, God, show up. Please show up. I mean, put yourselves in Martha and Mary's shoes. You're kind of going, is he ever going to come? What's taking him so long? And so eventually Jesus gets there, and then you see this interaction between Martha and Mary. And I ask you this, like, what would have been your response if you saw Jesus? Mind you, good friends. Took him six days. Let's say round up six days to show up when your brother died when he was only a day away. So Martha hears about this and eventually runs out to talk to Jesus, and she was really polite about it. Like, she was actually really nice. And so listen to what she said. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. She was still holding on to some hope, still kind of going, okay, God, I know you're in control. Because know this, here's the significant thing. They talked about four days. There's a reason why John put that in there. Because in the Jewish culture, there was this understanding that for three days, after someone passed away for three days, the spirit stayed around the body. So there was this chance that someone could come back from the dead. Thinking, okay, the spirit would connect back with the body and everything. But on the fourth day, that's when the spirit went into the spiritual world. And there was no chance of them being connected. And so Martha's going, I know there's still hope, but most of the hope has run out. It's looking pretty hopeless, God. And Jesus looks at her and goes, don't worry, Martha. Lazarus will rise again. I love Martha's response. Look at this in the next couple verses. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else's rise at the last day. I think most of us would have been like, yep, yep, okay, Jesus, I get it, I know. He will rise when we all go to heaven. Got it. I just, just wish he was alive now. And then Jesus' response told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Now, Martha doesn't answer the question, but I, I wonder if she's like, Sure, I, I'm, I'm a little confused by the question. I'm a little confused by everything that you're kind of walking out. Like, I, I, the resurrection, because remind you, Jesus is not raised from the dead yet. She's like, I, I believe you're the Messiah. The resurrection, life part, don't quite understand that yet. But yes, I, I think so, maybe. And so Martha's in this pretty interesting spot that I think most of us are in when we're pretty overwhelmed where God may be challenging us or God may be looking at us and going, hey, do you believe in this? Do you hold on to that hope that if it's not good, I'm not done? 
And so the story keeps going, and, and Jesus is still standing outside the village, which is interesting to think about. Martha had to come to him, remember? And so then Martha goes back, tells Mary, hey, Jesus wants to see you. And Mary gets up to Jesus, and she's a little bit more like point blank, a little bit more of the, I'm just angry at you. She's more like, if you would have been here, my, my brother wouldn't have died. And while she's telling Jesus this, she is just sobbing, losing it. And this is the first time we see where Jesus actually starts to show some pretty deep emotions. So at John eleven thirty five, 35, it's the easiest verse to memorize because it says simply, Jesus wept. There you go, a little gift for you today. Jesus wept. And when it says wept, I mean, I'm talking weeping, mourning to the point of it hurting. Because he saw what Mary and Martha were going through. He saw all these Jews just struggling with this. And I think we see in this moment where you see how frustrated and how hurt Jesus is that we have to walk through this pain. We have to deal with death. We have to deal with the evil that's in this world. Remember, that was never God's plan, ever. We were the ones that made the mistakes, and God said, I'm still going to save you. That's why he sent Jesus. But put yourself in Jesus' shoes, and you're seeing all of this, and you're going, it makes you angry. Like, this could have been avoided. And so you see Jesus' anger, and then in verse 38, the story takes a pretty dramatic turn. So catch this in verse 38. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. Now, there was a point where Jesus said, Mary, show me where the tomb is. And so she takes him there, a cave with a stone called, with stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. Remember, she brings up that four days again, and the smell will be terrible. Everybody would have been like, Jesus, she has a point. She is actually, like, pretty spot on. Even the disciples would have been like, Jesus, we've seen you do some crazy things. Like, water to wine, that's pretty sweet. Um, healing some people, pretty awesome. But this seems a little like you want to open someone's grave? Like, come on, man. This is going to be so awkward if it doesn't work. Like, it's going to be really awkward. So everyone's just kind of standing back, and I think all of us in here may have thought kind of like with Martha, where we're sitting there going, God, what are you doing? What are you doing right now? Stop. Why are you wanting to do this? And so here's what I want us to think about. When we are hopeless, when we have those moments where like, I don't, God, I think it's over, it's done. When life is hopeless, we must be reminded that God isn't done. We have to remind ourselves of that hope that changes everything. Because Jesus asked a pretty powerful question right back to Martha after she said what she said. Uh, catch this. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believed? I mean, think about that interaction. Jesus looking at Martha and saying, didn't I say he would rise again? I think it's at this moment, I think all of us may need to ask ourselves this question and think about it from God. Where you've been overwhelmed, you've been processing your circumstances, you, you've almost given up hope, and God's going, didn't I tell you? You would see my glory if you would, if you would just believe. If you would just be willing to walk this out. It's a difficult thing. 
to do, but it's powerful because in those moments, if you're willing to hold on to hope, it gives God an opportunity to come through in a way that you probably will never, ever see it. The next part of it is very fascinating too. Go back to that verse real quickly. So they rolled the stone aside. Here's the crazy part to me. There were a few of them in that audience, because most of them would have been going, God, you're nuts. Jesus, what are you doing? What is happening right now? But there was a few who were saying, I've seen him do some miracles. I've seen him do some crazy things. So whoever they is, pretty faithful people. And ask yourself, would you have been they? Would you have been the person who said, all right, I'll roll the stone away. I think most of us, if I'm honest with you, I'm not touching that stone. There were those who did. I would hope I could be that person. When God asked for a pretty powerful moment, I could be there to step in and say, let's do this. Let's see what Jesus is going to do. Now, here's how the story ends. It's pretty powerful. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here, so they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his his face wrapped in a head cloth. Jesus told him, unwrap him and let him go. Don't tell me the Bible's boring, because that's awesome. I just walked you through probably one of the craziest stories besides Jesus raising from the dead. I mean, Jesus set this up perfectly. He knew four days. He knew what these people believed. But he says, I'm going to change the dynamics. I'm going to help them walk out their faith even more. Because think about it. If you were there, how much would that have changed your belief in Jesus? How much would you be reminded, man, if it isn't good, God's not done. And I think some of us need to hear that. Think about that. With your finances, God's not done with that. With your relationships, God's not done. With your health, God's not done. If you're willing to believe and walk this out, God's going to work for the good of those who believe in him. It's powerful to realize how much hope we have. We can have victory regardless of the outcomes regardless of how it goes. So God says, I've got you, and I'm working for your good. Now, we may not like how it goes, but in the end, we see, we go, God, you're so good. You're so awesome in what you're, what you're doing. So we can sit here and go, wow, God is so good. God is bringing, and we need to. We need to have the moment just to sit there and go, God, I need to put my hope in you. Some of you have probably run. Some of you have given up or whatever the case may be. Or you're just so overwhelmed that you're like, I don't know if God will ever step in. And right now, you just got this injection of just going, I've got hope. God's got this. He's not going to leave me. He's not going to abandon me. He says he's going to work this out for good. But there is one thing that I think we need to also look at and be like, okay, what do we need to do in the midst of this? Besides holding on to that hope, what else do we need to work on? And I believe the key part becomes, and this is going to sound weird at first, it's learning to set boundaries in our lives. Learning to set boundaries. And you're going, how does that connect? Here's why. 
because it helps us declutter our lives. If we're not careful, God may want to do some miracles, may want to do this, but our life can be so cluttered, so cluttered, that we miss out on it. We miss out on God wanting to do that, and so God's going, hey, you need to set some boundaries in place so that you can learn to handle these feelings of overwhelm, these seasons of overwhelmed in a healthy way. I can tell you this because Jesus did this. Jesus practiced this in the most powerful way because you think about it, this man was asked to do miracle after miracle after miracle. Think of the pressure of that. I mean, if he was walking around the earth today, all of us would try to get around him. All of us would try to get into his face and say, can you fix my life? That would be crazy amount of stress, crazy amount of feeling overwhelmed that Jesus had to walk through. And so he had to learn to put boundaries in his life because there was two unique roles that he had that God said, I need you to do this. And that was start the craziest rescue mission ever and save all of humanity by dying on the cross and raising from the grave. The other thing is pour into these 12 guys that I've asked you to pour into because they're going to be leading the church. And those 12 guys are the disciples. So you think about it. Jesus took those two extra days and poured it into his disciples. Every moment that he was here, he tried to invest in those moments. And he also did a good job of putting boundaries around his life so that people would not take him or distract him from those purposes. Think about it. If you read your Bibles, you will notice whenever he was in a crowd doing miracles, there are moments where he would go, okay, I've got to be done. I'm going to go talk with God. I'm going to go talk with the Father. Other moments where he would slip out and go and hang out with the disciples, very intentional with his time with his disciples. That's why learning to put boundaries in your life becomes so key. Learning to have boundaries in your finances, learning to have boundaries in relationships, learning to have boundaries even at work. So that way you can do what God has asked you to do. That's why I, I would even say it this way. Don't trade what's unique to you for something somebody else will do. Don't trade what is unique to you for something somebody else will do. Because even Jesus explained this to his disciples. Catch this in John. He told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come. Let's go see him. Jesus was trying to say, hey, I, I have this moment. I spent time with you so you can see who I really am because you need to understand who I am so you can someday lead the church and start the church. It is powerful to think how Jesus led by putting boundaries in his life so that he can do the unique things. I look at my life and I recognize the unique roles that God's given me to being a father. Pretty soon here, come November, we're going to have three kids. And I'm going to be overwhelmed. All right? It's going to be a whole other thing of learning how to do this. But I also recognize that, God, there's no one else that can be these kids' fathers. No one who can be Emma's dad or Corbin's dad or this little one's dad. That's my responsibility. I take it with a full heart and go, God, teach me how to do this. Teach me how to be intentional. There's no one else that can be Tina's husband right now. That's my role, and I want to do it well, and I want to honor God. There's no one else who can fill my role as a friend. There's no one else that can fill my role in the relationships that I have. Does that mean that work becomes meaningless? No, it just means I put a boundary in place. Does that mean my finances, I can just do whatever? No, no, no. 
got to be intentional of that to where my core values of valuing those relationships, valuing my time with family, friends, my wife, and more importantly, God, I have to be intentional with that. I have to put boundaries in place so that I can accomplish that. That's the beautiful part is God was able, Jesus was able to accomplish the two things that God put him on earth to do. And he's looking at us going, you can do the same thing. But you got to remember during the storms of life, have hope that if it isn't good, I'm not gone. And the other thing is learn to set some boundaries in your life. Learn to be able to let me show you how to use your time to accomplish the mission I've given you. So let me ask you two questions. And I want you to sit and have a conversation with God. First one is simply this. Has life become so overwhelming that you need God's hope? For some of you in here, you may go, yes. It's the first time I've ever heard it like this or spoken about it this way, or you just feel God speaking to you and going, you need that. Because I don't know where you're at. You may, this may be your first time in church ever, first time you've ever heard about God. For some of you, you've heard about this for a long time, but you've given up on God. You've said, there's no chance. God's done with me. And now today you're going, there's still hope. Still hope that God's got this. So maybe you need to sit there in that question and ask God, where's my hope? Is it in myself? Is it in this world? Or is it in you? And the second question is this. Are you setting healthy boundaries in your life? Because maybe some of you in here, you may be going, you know, I do believe. I do believe God will come through. I do believe God will, uh, you know, do what he's going to do, the good work that he's going to do in me. But man, I've got to declutter my life. I gotta start working on this and being intentional with this so that I don't keep having these feelings of being overwhelmed because maybe you're the cause of it. You keep overcommitting. You keep not following the boundaries you've even put in your life. So if you guys would, please go ahead, close your eyes, bow your heads, and simply have this conversation with God where you're asking, God, where's my hope? And then for some of you, you may need to ask God, am I setting healthy boundaries in my life? Go ahead and talk with God. God, I thank you so much for tonight. I thank you for everything that you've been doing. God, I pray that you would be with us. I pray that you would help us to have that courage to know that you are working towards us. You are helping us. And when we have those moments, those seasons of being overwhelmed, may we hold on to that hope that you promise us, that you're going to work to the good for everyone who believes in you. And so God, may we wrestle, do I believe that? Do I own that? Because God, I know that we're gonna go through some tough things in life. It's not avoidable. There's gonna be tough moments, whether it's death, whether it's sickness, uh, whether it's just life, storms that come through. But God, may we learn to have our hope in you and that you will come through in a powerful way. May not be the way we expect it, God, you'll still come through. 
And God, I also pray for us to learn to have healthy boundaries. Pray that you would help us be able to do the things that we need to do with the time that you've given us because, God, we need to believe that you've given us enough time to do what we need to do. And so, God, help us to believe that and help us to give control of our time to you. May we learn to be intentional. We love you, Lord, and we thank you so much for what you're teaching us and what you've taught us through your son. And may we learn to be like him. We love you, Lord. Amen.